So in our case, uh, we were looking at properties in kind of like the 200K range um, and why specifically that? Not necessarily that we couldn't afford more or we didn't want cheaper, but 200K kind of seemed to be the sweet spot. Hello, you're listening to the ArtOfMoneySaving.com podcast and today I'm joined by Alvadamen from the Financial Independence Europe podcast and we are chatting about house hacking in the UK, what exactly that means, how it can be done and we also talk about our own attitude and behaviour of frugality and how that's changed over the years. So I hope you enjoy this episode, keep listening. Thank you so much for coming on the podcast. I mean, I, I must say, first of all, I'm a massive fan of the Financial Independence Europe podcast. It's my favorite. It's my go-to podcast. I love it. <laughs> awesome. Like, how did you find out about us? I think I I must have typed in something like Financial Independence something. And then, of course, the European thing is kind of, oh, that's kind of niche. Let me let me click on that. And uh, I think that's how I, how I found you. And... I'm not far off listening to all the episodes, so I'm working my way through them quite well. <laughs> oh, well, if you actually go, manage to go through all 110-ish by now or so. Mo- I mean, most of it, because I, I, I love walking. Mm-hmm. So, you know, I often walk along and, and listen to podcasts. So, of course, I, I will always listen to the new episodes. But if, there has something, if there's something I haven't listened to, I'll go back and, and listen to it myself. Oh, that's awesome to hear. Thank you so much. No, no, my pleasure. So, um, just want to say credit to you. I think you know the content that you're putting out is is really fantastic. I had a question for you actually, uh, because you're often interviewing so many people on a on a weekly basis, and you're having so many inputs. Is that, of course, that's very inspiring for for you to listen to all of these opinions. But is it sometimes hard that you're listening to all of these different? ways of achieving financial independence does it kind of sometimes throw you off your your plan like FOMO you know that kind of thing it can get very overwhelming yes because I interview, I've probably interviewed a good 60 or 70 people myself now and the amount of different approaches going from uh, getting 25 different Airbnb rentals and setting up rent to rent schemes up to just your basic yeah. get an index funds and you know Vanguard's uh, rinse and repeat easy approach it's very massive and I do have to say like my own approach has been morphed quite a lot based on what I've obviously heard others see and do but I do so it's kind of I don't really tend to go for the extremes I'm hearing people go for but kind of like okay I've got Mm -hmm. my core in terms of ETFs and real estate and just living frugally and then if people come up with bits and blobs I'm like oh that's actually a really smart thing to do then I add it into my approach, but kind of tend to stay in the middle of kind of what's conservative slash acceptable in five world and grab the kind of the low hanging easy things others use. Definitely. I think that's really sensible. And I think we, we absolutely share the, the same mentality there. I found myself this week listening to is it Jack Bogle, I think his name is. So he's the founder of Vanguard. Yes. And I was so encouraged by these videos. Like what an interesting man. And the, the simplicity but complexity of what he says at the same time, it's just very calming. And he says, you know, you're, you're either in or you're out and just play play the long game. And I just found that, that there is strength in that simplicity, isn't there? Um, and I, find, I do find myself, you know, people talking about Tesla or this stock or this stock. And 
sometimes I get a little bit sidetracked. I mean, I don't, I don't really invest in, in stocks um, seriously. I just dabble a little bit. But um, when you hear people saying, oh, you know, um, Tesla's grown by X amount of percent, you're like, oh, I wish I got in on that. But that's not my, my plan. My plan is just buy and hold and stick with it, see how it goes. Simple approach, but at the same time, so because of all the interviews, in many ways I've also gone to doubt just solely sticking to ETFs in the sense that I've come across uh, one podcast I listen to a lot is the Investors Podcast, TIP. And these people are extremely mm-hmm. critical if it comes to um, effectively over-indexing. Everybody just throwing all their money in there, governments and central banks buying up index funds and kind of like pumping up the valuations like that. And again, we are not here to pick stocks and predict what the market is going to do. But all these information flows for me have kind of shown one thing that it can also be dangerous to just simply stick to one very thing. Um, yesterday, um, mm-hmm. I also run a meetup here in Edinburgh, um, just Edinburgh Fi meetup. And I had a discussion with somebody who just solely was going for real estate. I was like, okay, I buy myself four or five properties and I'm good to go. And he was very convinced that was the right thing to do. Like, well, I get that. But, and you know, we can all agree the last hundreds of years, property has gone up over and over again. Like, don't you think it's risky to solely stick to that? Um, And wouldn't it be wiser to diversify a bit along the lines of, okay, my core component is going to be ETFs. I've got my own house, maybe a second or third rental, um, some dividend growth stocks. a few bits and blocks with peer-to-peer crypto, the riskier um, asset classes in there just for some growth and to have exposure to them. It's like, nah, real estate works. It gives me income um, and it's easy and straightforward. <laughs> and I get that. And it was, you know, it's it's a fair approach. And I also, you know, feel it's yeah. also attracted me to just you now buy a couple of houses and be done. But I, I do, to be very honest, wouldn't be comfortable solely sticking to that. So it's kind of, you know, when you were asking, okay, hey, is that information kind of not like, is it not hard to just choose what is the best thing to do? Yeah. Mm. Nah, it's, it's, mm. it's, it's tough, isn't it? I mean, there's a lot of information to digest. And particularly the last um, FI Europe podcast, um, is it Man from Overseas, I think? Absolutely, the, yes. The American chap. I don't know, he speaks with such passion, mm. doesn't he? And it's like, it's infectious. You know, like, oh! <gasps> I need to buy a home now. <laughs> and I, I honestly, I came away and I was like so inspired. But then I also had to take a step back and to say, oh, well, yeah, that's what he's doing. But for me, buying a house at the moment wouldn't make any sense. So it's uh, you can listen to all of these different stories. But I mean, the, the simple thing is personal finance is personal, yes. isn't it? So everyone has their own different journey. And when I think about maybe the risk that it would take for someone to invest, you know, thousands of pounds in Zoom or Tesla or whatever. I mean, I'm, I'm not a stock expert, so I'm never going to do that. So I like the simplicity approach of um, ETFs. And that's that's going to be my plan for the time being. But I, I can see what you mean about diversifying. And um, I have um, found myself trying lots of different things over the years. And... Um, I mean, peer-to-peer even. I've had a very small amount in mm. peer-to-peer, but I'm very intrigued to see how that's going to end up. So it's um, it's a UK housing peer-to-peer lender. And just after, I think so, beginning of April, they stopped people withdrawing because I think people were just kind of panic withdrawing. Um, 
I mean, my investments are tied up for a little bit longer. So, but I'm just kind of intrigued to see whether they'll pay out time, whether they'll default. Uh, yeah, it's interesting. Exact same for me. I'm not sure if you also invested in Ratesetter, which was kind of considered the biggest UK peer-to-peer lending platform. Okay. No, I never. Yeah. I I looked at the website, but um, I invested with um, a platform called the House Crowd, and they were offering some better rates of return, which now they are reduced, <laughs> um, <laughs> of course. But my my loans are are locked in at. They must have been nine or ten percent, quite high. So. Um, it was a certain amount of risk, but I I put a very very limited amount of money into those investments. So, I mean, I'm just intrigued to see how it goes. Absolutely, it was actually um, I'm sure you're familiar with it, but innovative Isas. Um, one of our in interviews was with um, Sonia from the Modern Girl, and she pointed out, "Hey, mm. I've opened this innovative Isa. I threw all the money into a peer to peer lending platform, and I'm not paying any tax over the actual income out of it. That really." Mm. That was one of those things, it's like a small little, heck, you can go for no taxation, having exposure to an industry that's higher risk, but hopefully higher returns. Uh, I, was, I really thought, okay, yeah. am I going to do this? Um, so I actually did end up, I did open Innovative ISA, but did not end up using it and just went for a regular account with Ratesetter. And all my money right. is tied up right now. Uh, and I believe there are another 32,000 people in front of me before... I will actually be able to access oh, the funds, wow. and over the last five months, it has progressed by like four or five hundred people in front of me who've uh, actually gotten their money. So, if you think of that base, uh, I've I've wow. written the whole the whole investment off. Um, and right, okay, that's not, interesting. Mm-hmm. I have I haven't arrived to that I haven't arrived to that um, decision yet, or that. Yeah, I, I still hold out hope that um, it will mm-hmm. pay out, actually, surprisingly. So one of the loans is defaulted, and it's severely late. But because it's tied up in property, it's held against the asset, so they can always sell uh, the house. But, I mean, we'll see. I'll, I'll keep you updated. I'll let you know how it goes. Nice one. I mean, certainly, if I'm very honest, I do expect, given, obviously, it's a UK platform, all the regulations start to, it, to get some of it back, but... To be on the safe side, um, I just like, okay, let's just be all done with it. If I get something back, perfect. If not, then not. Yeah, exactly. And I mean, that's it's a lesson for us all, isn't it? That if you're not experienced in using a particular way of investing, then it's always best to try it out with a little bit of cash beforehand. So that's always the way that I do things. Test it out with a small amount, see how it performs, see how comfortable you feel, and then you can invest more if you exactly. want. Exactly. I threw a thousand pounds in there, so it's n- it's no massive loss. Um, I applied a similar strategy to crypto. Um, I've never been a massive crypto holder, mm-hmm. but if we go a number of years back, there was this period where everybody was launching the you know one crypto coin after the other. Um, I just threw fifty pounds in each, and like when they actually came out, and okay, let's do this, this, and this, and just see what happens. Now. Nah. Exactly. Yeah, you mm-hmm. never know. If it gets big, then you'll have fifty pounds. And it was an interesting <laughs> kind of game to follow. Did make a nice return in the end, uh, but nothing too massive. But even that, you know, it's like, oh, cool, sure, it worked. But I'm still very much intending on the long run to have my ETF portfolio consist of hopefully sixty, seventy percent of what I actually hold. And I mean, right now, I'm I'm not sure which ones you're buying yourself, but for me, it's very much uh, VWCE. Um, you know, just an accumulating 
all world equity fund, throw it all in there, let it run, and accumulating bits. Um. Sounds sensible to me. Brilliant. So one of the things that we briefly spoke about on, on Facebook was this idea of house hacking. So I wanted to ask you more about what your plans are about that and yeah, what 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 you thought about the idea of house hacking, whether the house hacking is a necessity in the idea of getting a mortgage. So are you basing your 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 income from the house hack into the mortgage repayments and so forth? Very good question. So I think it's first good to start with, you know, what's the whole point of house hacking and why would you bother sharing your space with somebody else? For me, it was, uh, well, for me, my partner, I should say, it was very much, okay, we are going to purchase a property in a very heavily overvalued house market. Uh, and can we in some way um, at least get a part of the cost covered by renting it out? And right. our thoughts were, okay, let's see if we can mix those things in together. And I do think, you know, it's not, you don't have to uh, house hack to buy a house. Uh, but if you want to get to FI and one of your biggest costs will always be housing. Now, I mean, everybody keeps saying on average spend max 33% on housing, but I think that's way and way too much. And it should, if you you know want to save a proper amount, aka you know, 70, 80% of your income, you're going to have to reduce it somehow. And you can only control so much in terms of, oh, let's find the cheapest um electricity provider broadband and blah 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 you can only do so much on that and it's true what we we also discussed this together on facebook but the rent a room scheme in the uk which is amazing and being able to get 7.5k on a yearly basis effectively tax-free out of incomes i are uh from lodgers from a property yeah Um, yeah it's a huge thing isn't it i think for anyone you know if you think that you're if you're a single person buying a property that then gives you so much flexibilities, doesn't it? It gives you a bit of relief uh, from having to carry the burden of the mortgage yourself. Mm-hmm. But you also have to be a bit careful that... Uh, well, first of all, actually, that that's to be said, that the mortgage company won't take into account that you are going to to have a lodger. So it's always can based on your own income, which I guess is quite sensible. Yeah, <laughs> um, they actually ignore that. But it does li- yeah, I guess it does limit the, the type of property that you, you can get. But I think... Um, yeah, house hacking is a great idea. I've pretty much always lived in a house share all of my life. And as long as you have good roommates and respectful people, it's it's no problem at all, really. Absolutely. And for us, it was also very much in the search um, to get it done because many brokerage, uh, mortgage providers, they don't like this. They're like, hey, you want to get a lodger? Oh, you need to get written permission or you're only allowed to have one lodger or follow these criteria, otherwise you're not allowed to. So... It took us quite a bit of time to find providers we could work with and calling okay, that's, that's calling them. I mean, we had this massive spreadsheet, me and my partner together, and called them all up mm-hmm. three times in a row to speak to different employees to make sure um, we actually got the right answers out of them because they can sometimes get a bit confusing. And that way, because right. you don't want to end up in a situation where your bank is like, yeah, you're not allowed to. So we went... That's a really good mm-hmm. tip for people, isn't it? Ring up numerous times and really, you know, really ask, really check that what what they're saying is true, and it's not because I mean it's such a huge financial decision. You don't want to buy a house and then for your mortgage uh, provider then say, oh, well, actually, you you can't have a lodger or, or whatever. Or we don't want you having a lodger. Absolutely, and additionally to that, Airbnb too. Many many uh, providers will not allow for that, but I know quite a few people right. in the fight community. Uh, are using it and 
it's so simple on you know let's say you go on holiday for three weeks a year just renting it out and based on that getting another two thousand a year it's so easy to get a bit of extra income that's huge but, huge mm-hmm. do you know what that never occurred to me before i thought that's a great idea of course if you're not going to be in the property and you're open to having people in your home yeah then just why not you know rent your rent your place out and it kind of covers the whole the whole cost of the holiday that's a brilliant idea absolutely and obviously follow regulation and make sure you stick to everything um you've got to but over here in edinburgh i i am there's a massive short-term um holiday market and mm. if you would rent a place out during um the festival season here getting 150 a night wouldn't be very difficult if you got a good central location um and additionally to that just a regular night 60 or 70 for an occasion uh, apartment is very doable wow. maybe it also helps if i paint a picture of what me and my partner had in mind in terms of what we were actually looking at in terms of buying and kind of how mm-hmm. we were seeing that um over like the mortgage we were aiming at and like the next years or so so in our case uh we were looking at properties in kind of like the 200k range um and why specifically that not necessarily that we couldn't afford more or we didn't want cheaper but 200k kind of seemed to be the sweet spot in getting a two-bedroom um with an okay size living room aka like 56 square meter 58 ish um mm-hmm. but in a way where the kitchen was separate from the living room so in that way you technically have got three bedrooms if you would convert a living room and the kitchen has a little bit of space and so you can put a dinner table there so people still kind of have their living room in the kitchen a bit of space to walk around but you've got three separate living rooms you can utilize and if you absolutely if you're in that situation would say hey i will live in the living room myself and the other two bedrooms will be rented out for um six months a year to lodgers um at you know 500 each or so would be quite easy yep. to get to that 7.5k threshold get the absolutely yeah and, and and the thing is i think often we think about it in black and white isn't it so you think the lodger and he's there or she is there all of the time and it's completely disruptive but it's your prerogative whatever you want to do with it so if it's six months on six months off you can you can do that can't you it's flexible absolutely and that's the whole you know the genius bit about lodgers you can go for um students who are only here for six months or for somebody who knows okay i've got a project for three months um you know, I'll go back overseas. Um, it's, yeah. you, so much more flexible. Yes. And like, I've obviously heard all the horror stories too of having tenants and them not wanting to leave and never paying for months in a row. It does happen. But that's, yes, it does. Yeah. that's a whole bit where lodgers come in handy. But the only downside of it is it's not scalable. You can only do this once in your own personal property. If you really, yeah. you know, 7.5K is nice, but it's not going to uh, change the world in the end. It will be a nice boost. So it's yes, yeah, yeah. Kind of, it's a it's a compromise, but it gives you a bit of a bit of relief from what you have to pay for the mortgage. And but you said it's not like you said it's not life changing amount of money, is it? Um, but these things add up, you know. If you're, it's an extra seven and a half thousand. You get a an extra raise in salary, and you're still being relatively frugal. Mm-hmm. Then all of these things add up and if you want to be financially independent then you're going to get there a little bit closer absolutely and also when we check for things kind of that 7.5 8k mark was roughly what it would cost to have the property um i mean paid for electricity all that stuff for an entire year so we were like oh if we actually do this it pretty much means living for free ignoring obviously the upfront work from us and 
the privacy we give up and the deposit for the house, ignoring those bits. Yeah. And one thing, yeah. one thing we also shouldn't forget, it's tax-free. So you kind of should, you should actually multiply it, you know, depending on what kind of tax rate payer you are, by uh, 1.32. And that's the actual amount you yeah. would have to earn to get an equal amount yourself, which... Yeah, that's right. Yeah, we have to think about all of these tax incentives, don't we, where we can. And I think I think the lodger thing is is awesome. I mean, the thing about the thing about me, whether or not my girlfriend would would uh, be up for that <laughs> in the future, I don't. I really don't know. That's a that's a discussion we haven't had yet. But um, yeah, I don't know. <laughs> but in principle, it could work well. <laughs> awesome. So I wanted to speak to you also about. You mentioned in some of your previous podcast episodes that in the past you found yourself being very frugal. And it sounds like thing, things have changed a little bit for you now. So I wanted to, to ask you a little bit about that because I, I feel quite the same way, actually. Love that question. And it's something that's very dear and near to my heart in the sense of being very frugal or over frugal. Um, I think kind of the best way of um, kind of like explaining that is if we go back, you know, say seven, eight years as a student, I was living on, back then in the Netherlands, on 400 euro a month, including rent, including health insurance. Uh, um, those amounts are just, you know, not really realistic oh. to live off. And I was listening in a, yeah, that's in a very <laughs> crappy room um, and wasn't spending money on anything. And I probably, no. I was probably saving a good 80 or 90% of my income even back then just because I was earning all I could possibly get was getting a student grant on top of that and still not spending. Mm. Um, and that took quite a few years to kind of process that and get rid of it because uh, like at some point I met my partner and she, you know, she's definitely frugal um, in her own right, but she was like, come on, can we not just go for dinner once or... Um, try this out or like we're walking by this restaurant and you're walking into the next supermarket to buy a sandwich instead of just paying <laughs> you know a bit more and relaxing for a bit yeah um that was definitely a learning curve for me it took me mm. a while and i think really what helped is and i always mix this one uh, but you know when i walk into a restaurant i want to start on the left side of the menu actually checking out what's actually there instead of on the right what's cheapest and then go left um, that's, and right, that's right. That's kind of what I try to follow now more and more. And over the years, I've gotten, I've softened up. I'm actually spending money on going for dinner now and on holiday and things. But still, even up to today, my fixed costs are six fifty, six sixty a month, um, which for many would still consider extremely cheap. But for me, I can have a very good quality of life on that. And one thing wow. I was always very much against was renting an apartment without having roommates in there. Um, in the last two years, we've rented our own apartment over here without anybody in there. And it's been massively life-changing to actually have our own private place with a couple extra rooms where you can do things in. For example, record one of these podcast episodes while my girlfriend can do her work in the other room without us bothering her. And Yes, yeah. I mean, pr the privacy counts for a mm. lot as well, isn't it? So it's finding this sweet spot. And I think that's the interesting thing about the FIRE community is you have one half of the people that come from this extreme frugality and then the other half people maybe you know in the states for example they've just got out of debt and um they they've learned how to be more frugal and are starting to build wealth so i think like in a way we can 
learn something from each other, isn't it? So I'm definitely more in your camp that I used to be way too frugal in certain ways, not not in, not across the boards. And uh, now I'm finding myself needing to loosen up a bit and um, just remember, you know, that life is worth living and uh, it's it's totally okay if you want to go out for dinner and and do these type of things and just finding finding value in the in the experiences as well which is which is very important and i did a podcast um with um a woman a couple of weeks ago and she said something that's really stuck with me and she said when when she was thinking about purchasing something she doesn't really care about purchases themselves so if it's an ipad or a, something something materialistic but she'll splurge on things that you know travel or things that you can create memories essentially and i thought that was a really good way to go about it so not to care so much about the materialistic things but those things that are going to create memories and things that stay with you absolutely maybe not necessarily the best translation but just an abundancy mindset getting you know what brings you the most happiness um, and value in life regardless of cost obviously within reason I'm going to draw the episode to a close here. If you did enjoy the episode, then don't worry. There is going to be a part two with Alva. So keep your eyes peeled for that and see you next time. Bye now. Thanks for tuning in to The Art of Money Saving. We love being able to share our passion for personal finance with our listeners. Drop us a line on Instagram and YouTube and let's keep this conversation going. Until next time.